0: Hey everyone, Eric here. Uh, Just wanted to let you know, if you are only here for the AJ Machalka interview, I can't blame you. Uh, That's going to be around the one hour mark in this podcast. Uh, Lauren and I had a lot to say, obviously, and a lot of goofs to do. So uh, if you just care about that, you can skip ahead to around one hour. And otherwise, I hope you enjoy the rest of the show. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to That Sobrana, the podcast about all things Kenneth Branagh. Of course, uh, once again, I am Eric.
1: And I'm Lauren.
0: That's right. And uh, so, as we do on every episode of That Sobrana, I thought I'd start off by asking Lauren to pit some of Kenneth Branagh's greatest characters against each other in a real battle royale. And so, Lauren, I will put to you who'd win in a fight between Henry V and Hamlet? Don't think too hard. Just. Gut answer.
1: Henry V.
0: All right. Now, who would win in a fight between Henry V and Jack Ryan Shadow Recruit?
1: Jack Ryan.
0: Okay. Now, who would win in a fight between Jack Ryan Shadow Recruit and Thor? Thor. Now, who would win in a fight between Thor and Twelfth Night?
1: Thor again. (laughs) Good answer. (laughs) Good, because I don't know a damn thing about Kenneth Branagh, so I didn't have to... uh, Do a lot of overthinking, because there was nothing to think about.
0: I mean, Kenneth Branagh has directed a lot of really um, classic character films. Not only a lot of Shakespeare, but also uh, Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. Uh, Did you know, fun fact, that it's actually the doctor who is uh, Frankenstein, but the monster (laughs) is named Phil? (laughs) Great. Thank you for listening to that, Sobrana. We'll be back next week with a brand new episode.
1: Somebody rescue me. It's a hostage situation.
0: Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Shira Progressive of Power, our much more successful podcast than that Sobrana. I am Eric,
1: <laughs> and I'm Lauren. Thank goodness that podcast got canceled.
0: It. Oh shit! It got canceled.
1: Yeah, no one oh, was no. listening to it. Haven't you heard? If no one listens to your podcast, the podcast uh, gets canceled.
0: By who? The podcast police? Yes. Who made them gods? Mark Marin and and. Uh, Sarah Serial over here, whose name I, Sarah Koenig is her name. Sarah
1: Serial is better.
0: <laughs> Sarah Serial is better. I like alliteration. You. Did, you, did you see Serial just launched a fourth season? Uh, or it's like I guess a spinoff. It's called like Nice White Parents or something. It's about the only white parents at like a predominantly black high school in in New York.
1: No, um, I have actually never, never listened to cereal at all. I'm that um, really obnoxious, petulant fan who's like, "Well, other people like this, so I don't." Uh, it's, I get it, man. It's 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 made me like some things really late. Like I came to The Good Place really late because so many people were like, "It's wonderful," and I went, "Well, that means I hate it." You miss out on a lot of great content and great art when you just insist that you're not mainstream it's a curse i think
0: i i think i have the same uh kind of drive and i only listen to serial because my friend insisted on me listening to it on a road trip and i really did love the first season and then it's just hard to recapture that magic again but i mean they do they do good work there uh so you know that's my hot take is that serial is pretty good investigative podcasting we're not quite we're not really doing investigative journalism here or are we? We kinda did with Matt Young, I guess.
1: <laughs> yeah, we really grilled so, that poor man. Made him, real gonzo made him journalism. speak the truth.
0: It's truth to power, baby. This is the last time we're ever going to talk about a Shira and the Princesses of Power episode in this way, probably
1: yeah this is not the last episode of our show so i'm not gonna get upset yet i'm just going to push my feelings downward in a super healthy way um and we'll still talk about she-ra in a couple of other ways and we'll tell you a little bit about them later but yeah this is the last episode of the netflix show it is heart part two
0: yeah and it almost feels like why even do a recap like everybody knows what happens right like Everything ends. Everything looks shitty, and everyone's at their wits end and within an inch of their life, and then good things kind of start to happen. I know that's a really flip recap, but it feels like this episode is such a heavyweight emotionally that I don't know if I want to go through it beat by beat in like a plot sense.
1: Yeah, we're probably going to do that in our discussion anyway. We tend to discuss beats, and this episode is all high moments there's uh inspirational speech and a very important kiss uh so let's just get into it i guess
0: oh my gosh i mean you say kiss i feel like we kind of just have to do it do it up right like the whole series was building to this to catra catra not only is real but like real (laughs) Like, romantic embrace, full-on same-sex kiss yeah, from our two lead characters.
1: I mean, not to put too fine a point on it, maybe the most forward, clear, lesbian relationship that's ever been on television. At least to my knowledge.
0: At, at least one that's been centered so clearly, right? Like, literally, like, the main character and her foil. Right, are. they're not
1: background characters. Even, even like, Legend of Korra, in which the main character ends the series with another woman, they sort of walked off into the sunset together after the show had been taken off TV. It's not quite the same. I think this was a real triumph.
0: And, yeah, you know, I think Lauren and I might veer into being slightly critical in a moment here, and I do think it's important to say that, like, the response to this moment and the fact that so many young people you know lgbt people but also just anybody can like see themselves in this and feel represented and feel safe and spoken to by a piece of media like nothing we could say could take away the power of this moment and it really is a triumph you know in that regard of like making real world people feel like they matter so like straight up that's amazing
1: yes and let me take this opportunity to say that there is not a Shira emmy nomination and that is some bullshit that is some bullshit
0: well i mean obviously the simpsons is still just as vital and creative as it was 25 years ago when anyone cared about the simpsons lauren
1: right and obviously the rick and morty fandom is just still rabid and rocking the world right
0: Anyway. Frown. um,
1: No, I do wanna I I I do wanna kind of like get into that a little bit and just say, I mean, you and I had this conversation off mic, so for us this is old territory. But I'm very disappointed by a lot of mainstream award shows that seem to recognize just sort of what everyone is consuming and the best animation, best animated series category, it really just reads like someone who was asked to name some cartoons that exist right now even though they never watch cartoons. And like, I like Bob's Burgers a lot, but the most recent Bob's Burgers season was just okay. And I thought BoJack Horseman was nominated last year because the show was coming to an end, but that's back too. Meanwhile, she is one of many wonderful examples of shows, uh, even if you just said Netflix and even if you just said DreamWorks, shows that are making history for representation and doing great comedy and putting forward shows with great heart. And I'm just so baffled that they went with a bunch of moldy oldies. Again, um, it's kind of like the Oscars. I expect the judges to be engaged with cinema and really comb comb the beach for those those pearls and find the treasures and i i think innovation should be rewarded and Shira is innovative and catradora is history and i just wanted them to at least get a nod they didn't have to win they should have won too but at least a nomination
0: yeah i agree i also like being I think we talked about this with, like, the Grammys, where, like, I probably follow music more closely than almost anybody I know, except for people who work in the music industry, and yet I haven't heard of most of the Grammy artists. So that speaks to both, like, the kind of disparate, fractured nature of pop culture, like there's no monoculture anymore, right? But also the fact that, like, it, it really does often come down to, like, You've like scanned Twitter for like what are the most people talking about and and you just kind of algorithmically name things. Like uh oh yeah, Cardi B is popular on Instagram. Let's nominate her for something. Okay. Great, cool. Um although weirdly She-Ra feels like it's always trending, so I don't know what the fuck happened with this. But anyway.
1: Yeah, there have been some pretty massive, like, international level Twitter um like campaigns, I guess you'd say, fan campaigns, where the fans together have been deciding like this week we're going to make She-Ra movie trend and next week it's going to be more She-Ra and then the week after that it's going to be Catradora continues. And they just they just keep hitting Twitter with these waves. And so maybe that made me feel more like it was possible to get the nomination, because it seems huge.
0: Yeah, but I mean, regardless of some stodgy old nominating body recognizing this, I think it certainly is a triumph. Uh, and I guess maybe for our end of the discussion, I'd like to uh, quote from a letter from one of our listeners, Tess, who I was delighted to read this because I think Lauren gets frustrated with me always saying, oh, no, they're just friends. They're just friends. And Tess, who was, I believe, a 32 year old queer person, wrote the same thing that I say to Lauren all the damn time that they were so thrown off by uh by this continued use of the word friend and they were so used to growing up with media that like if there was any kind of queer tones they were so understated like purposely because you couldn't just be open about those things that like they didn't see the kiss coming until it literally happened and that was when it clicked like oh my god this show is going full out queer relationship. And I think I saw it a little bit before that, but I still think that's like such an interesting perspective, just because media has conditioned many people, I think of, of my age and Tess's age, to like know what friend means, right?
1: Yeah, I'm glad that that's where that letter went or where you just took the conversation because that's what was going to be my next question, was when when did you actually believe they were going to go forward with this? I feel like, yeah, we grew up with a lot of examples of characters who could have been lesbians, or could have been bisexual, or could have been trans, and of course, like, shows never went there, networks never went there, there was a lot of, like, homophobic lispy voices and effeminate behaviors that for a while TV was trying to convince us was representation when really it was, like, bullying. And so to finally just see a diverse cast of like normal humans with normal human differences uh, be in love, I I think yeah I think I was conditioned to not expect it, but earlier earlier than you I, I think I knew it was coming.
0: So I don't remember the name of the episode, but it's the one after Save the Cat where uh, Entrapta does kind of surgery on uh, Catra's chip that's when I I saw it really going full romance
1: I want to give a shout out to Adventure Time uh, my favorite cartoon of all time because it ends uh, with Princess Bubblegum and Marceline the Vampire Queen having an on-screen kiss and they are main characters and their relationship went for quite a while um, hinting in that direction as well And I think because I got to see Adventure Time happen, I was way more in tune with like, ooh, I bet it can happen here too. Like we've made that progress. We're going to do it.
0: So Tessa's letter asked an interesting question of us. Uh, They want to know not when did we see it, but when do we think Adora recognized that she felt this? Because I think for Catra, it's pretty clear that it's like the whole time, right? And Adora's the one who has to come to this revelation and I, I don't know like that's something I would really have to think hard about. Do you have a thought on that?
1: It's gotta be pretty late. Um, I think what this episode shows us is that Adora is maybe more like Katra than we knew in that Adora has her fantasy, her wish where she sees the future with Katra, and even after having that fantasy when Katra says, I love you, Adora seems surprised. And so I think both of them might have been pretty convinced that they couldn't say how they truly felt because the other person wouldn't agree and wasn't interested in the same thing or wouldn't accept it or it would somehow go bad. And so I don't think Adora knew the feelings were reciprocated until the kiss, but when she knew she felt that way, mm, it's it's got to be real late. It's got to be real late.
0: I think there might be inklings when they're saving the cat. But, yeah, I think to fully accept it in herself might have come as late as this episode.
1: Yeah, I think, oddly, it it had to, in my opinion, it came in response, it always comes in response to signals from Katra. I think, I say this from a place of love, Adora's kind of dumb, and Catra's emotions are what make Adora realize her own emotions. And so right before Save the Cat, when Catra sends Glimmer back to Bo and Adora and sacrifices herself so adora won't come save glimmer and fall into a trap i think that might be when adora gets it adora's like she just made this huge sacrifice because she loves me but it took that huge gesture from catra for her to even start thinking about it she was like oh really whoa
0: yeah i think that that would match my read as well uh that's that's good so this is obviously very touching and sweet, and, and it, I feel like we have to wrap around to kind of what our key question of the season has been, which is, we're obviously both happy to see our characters in this state, but has Katra earned this?
1: So, watching this episode through a second time, I caught some things that I didn't catch before, and that always happens. And the biggest one that I caught was right at the end of the episode to just go completely out of order. Everyone's okay, they've won the day, and Katra locks eyes with Scorpia. And the way that I read what happens between them is Catra's like, oh, uh, Scorpia, I... And Scorpia just says, I'm a hugger and embraces Catra, and they're fine. I read that scene like Katra knew she still needed to apologize to Scorpia and was like trying to talk to her and trying to go see about catching up and making it right. And the fact that they put that little moment in there, they had her circle back to Scorpia. I really do believe that she, Catra, is working on herself. And it does make me think her personality changes. It's gonna be a long journey. Her redemption continues on even after the credits roll. But I think she's earned it. I think the writers did enough in the short time they had to like show me that Catra's going to keep working, and that is good enough for me, someone who is not a Catra lover.
0: I agree with that. Uh, I definitely came around to Catra. Uh, a listener, Susan, asked us in a very polite way how we would handle Catra's arc, um, because we did have some issues with the redemption, and I, I would guess, I don't want to speak for you, Lauren, but most of my issues with season 5 purely come down to timing like it feels like the pacing is um maybe not off but like the, the it gives weight to some things uh that that then takes away weight from other things and i think one of the things it takes away some weight from is like the time to see this journey and you're right that like you can see you know in her interactions with scorpio or even in her, the way she be, interacts with the best friend squad katra does care about Redemption and I think she is primed to go on this journey. And I just I wish maybe there'd been more than like five minutes of like post climax. It's probably not even five minutes, it's probably really three minutes in this episode of like after the battle. Maybe even two.
1: I agree that if I were to rewrite the catcher redemption arc, I think what it needed was time. Um, We know from previous discussions on this show that Noelle Stevenson didn't know until pretty late in the game that Catradora was going to be canon and she was really going to get to tell the story that she wanted to tell. So I think a lot of those romantic moments and those redemption moments, they get put in maybe later than we would have liked. I think you and I, as fans of the old show, we were kind of surprised to see a very lore-heavy uh, action show kind of turn into a very sweet and heartfelt relationship show. I mean, there were always relationships in there, but in the end, it's a show about Katra and Adora. And see, in season one, I wouldn't have been able to say that it's a show about Katra and Adora if I were to do it, sure. if I were to do it over. I think I would have tried to make it about Katra and Adora from episode one much more full tilt but maybe she just didn't have permission
0: yeah it's i mean i think there's certainly a thought out there that she kind of i'm gonna use this this is gonna sound really esoteric but she kind of grant morrison the ending Grant Morrison is my favorite writer. He's a comics writer, and his philosophy of writing endings is you should never hold your ideas. You should always write yourself into a corner and then try your damnedest to get out of it. Grant, his stories do come apart in the ending sometimes, but not for lack of ambition. And I wonder if Noel set up a situation where, you know, queer love was the only way out and then was like, well, you know, here you go. Like, what do you want me to do about it? Like, they're, they're here, they're queer. They're gonna kiss to save the universe, and
1: if they don't, it's gonna be a pretty dumb, wishy-washy finale, huh?
0: Right. So I think that's that's one potential read. Um, not you know not to imply that anyone is against this in in real life. Just that media is notoriously slow to adapt to things like two women kissing.
1: Yeah, and to answer the reader's question a little bit more, if I look back at say the Scorpio moment. Uh, I could have watched an entire episode or even an entire webisode, you know, whatever they wanted to do, that is just like a Scorpia Catra epilogue. Um, having watched this again, I, I we, we talked about it with Matt, I don't super want the like Best Friends Squad story to continue because it had such a perfect ending, but there are just so many mini moments that I would still like to see and that, that would be one of them
0: okay so lauren's come around a little on catra i think this is a harder question and i think my my feelings on this are a little more critical even given that what happens between adora and Katra is magical do you feel as though the finale of she-ra leans a little too heavily on romantic coupling because i think that i do
1: well, you ask a very leading question. <laughs> you frame that in a very the, like. Sure,
0: I'm interviewing you. This is. Yeah, I'm trying to give direction to this show because it's going to be two hours you're long. Like,
1: Don't you think? And, you know, the answer is. No, yes. I,
0: I said, do you think? <laughs> I at least phrase it as a positive, I
1: guess. Um, yeah, I, I think I said this a little bit earlier Um Post, post-divorce, post I find myself locked in a mental state sometimes where I don't always want to see romantic love stories. I'm not always comfortable with them right now. They don't make me feel as optimistic and positive as they used to. And so uh, the episode that we talked about last time where just character after character is firing off the romantic I love you and the romantic, I love you, snaps people out of brainwashing and empowers people and in this episode literally heals them and allows them to transform and saves the world. Um, it's a wonderful, beautiful sentiment. I, I kind of wish we would have seen some other stories too. Um, I'm not going to say it leans too heavily into it because I think we need to have shows and stories that just end with people having lots of love and affection and support for one another, and that's great. It's great that this show exists, and I have plenty of other shows to watch if I want to be embittered and shitty, Um, but I've loved this show for so long, and I've followed it for so long that there were a couple moments at the end here where I kind of felt left out, but I'm not a teen princess. That's okay.
0: Yeah, I mean, uh, so... You know, eagle-eared listeners, if that's uh, an expression, might know that for a time I produced uh, Mortified in Chicago, which is a show where people share uh, kind of teenage artifacts and couch that in a narrative about how they've grown and changed since their teen- teenage years. And to a T, there was a time when almost every woman who submitted to the show before I was producing uh, with my friend Katie, so as was another team of producers, every woman on the show would always end her story by talking about how oh she was awkward or weird or nerdy or whatever, but now she's married, and I think i i there I think there's like some social kind of uh force that wants wants uh especially women but all of us to end up in these like coupled pairs now, I do think the fact that like the key pair of the show is queer does change the calculus a little because that is not a common narrative, but as like a person who' has been single most of their lives. And, like, I do firmly think there are worse things to be than, like, not romantically attached. I wish there would have been at least one main character who didn't, who there wasn't even, like, an implied coupling, right? Because at first I thought maybe Scorpia, but I actually think her and Perfuma do probably get together. They're making eyes at each other pretty hard in this episode.
1: Yeah, uh, Scorpia says, Perfuma, you look great, and I knew we were going to have to talk about it. I, I think that's pretty close to official as well.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, I get it. And I know that the point of She-Ra season five was all about love, but I do think that it's unfortunate to me that there's no form of love here that isn't linked to romance in some way. I honestly think the show might even be veering towards polyamory. Like, you can't tell me that there's not still something between Glimmer and Catra in that flash forward scene. I'm going to die on that <laughs> hill, which is great. Like, I have more power to uh, to that. But there seems to be no single characters, and that that does kind of bum me out.
1: Yeah, I'm really stopping myself from saying, like, maybe 10 years from now, some of those characters will be single. But I don't want to ruin anyone's ship. I don't want to <laughs> sink any ship. That's mean.
0: But what a good transition to the flash forward. I really want to know what you feel about this. Does it seem to JK Rowling to you? Now, for listeners who may not know, JK Rowling is a notoriously terrible person and transphobe who... Uh, I think wrote a series of books that people really love and have to dissociate from the author.
1: Yes, it's so strange how the Harry Potter books have no author. They were written so recently, and yet the author is lost to history. But what you're asking, you're asking about the epilogue, though, right, in Harry Potter?
0: Yes, exactly. The kind of, like, notedly corny, unpopular, like, unnecessary glimpse into the characters' futures that pigeonholes them into destinies that in some cases feel like they come out of nowhere do you feel like that is what's happening with adora's flash forward
1: i surprisingly do not feel that way um for one because horde prime refers to it as a wish and so i don't think it is a confirmed like this is what happened to the characters i think it's us seeing adora actually picturing life if she survives and it's not set in stone that that's what's going to be. Whereas the end of the Harry Potter books are like, yes, absolutely, everyone married their high school sweetheart, and Harry became a cop. The end. Um, it's still a little bit up for interpretation as far as things go. They also had super great outfits, and I love a new outfit, so a plus for that. Um, I uh, just oh, one more point about that though is in the fandom. Noel Stevenson and co. have really leaned into sort of their headcanons for the next generation, for the kid characters. We already talked about them on this show. Um, and I think I appreciate that those are headcanons, but they stayed that way and they were not brought into the show. Like, knowing Noel could have canonically been like, and then there's Finn, and then there's... Uh, she didn't she just showed this moment and i think it was enough to be a motivation for a hero but not a like clamp down insistence that everything happened a certain way
0: i agree with you uh, the first time i saw it i did get harry potter vibes i think that's just such an overriding example in fantasy pop culture of of this epilogue notion but you're right it's not definitively the future it's a vision of a possible future that exists in adora's head and i think for that it's really sweet I also want to point out that uh, one of our listeners, Jennifer, wrote in with a really astute observation about the uh, character's outfits, which is that each of their outfits borrows elements from other, uh, from like every other best friend squad character's traditional looks, like Glimmer's got some wings, uh, Adora's got a heart. It's very cool.
1: That's so sweet. Yeah, I noticed a little bit of that. I think it just means they're getting closer. Yeah. Um, I love costume design in in media and you know that there was some really cool conversations and probably some like concept sketches that went around to plan those outfits. The other thing about the other thing about this future vision is that I think it effectively nukes something off of my bingo card. I really wanted to say a kingdom for Scorpia because they're saying that Scorpia is hosting her first ball. But because I just pushed and said this isn't the real future, this is an imagined future, we don't really know that Scorpia gets that for sure. So I don't think I get the square.
0: I agree. And speaking of that, dear listeners, um, I forgot that this was something we had to finish up for today's episode. So tune in next week and we will announce our bingo winner and you'll get a cool prize. Well, I don't know if it's going to be cool, but I'm moving soon, so I have all sorts of shit I'm going to give away. Maybe <laughs> you'll be the beneficiary of some stuff.
1: I have some stuff that I want to pass along, uh, She-Ra stuff, but some of it may or may not have come from DreamWorks, and I'm like, is re-gifting that okay?
0: <laughs> we can
1: ask somebody. Uh, another bingo square that I definitely lost because the show is now over. Is that Raz rides a broom and man, we saw her sweeping at the end, and she was all alone. I was so ready for it. How much would it have taken for her to just hop on that broom and do a little spin in the sky when nobody else was looking, just to prove that magic was back? Dang it! Just,
0: just to gi- just to give you your bingo square, yeah. So Etherea gets restored in this episode to its like verdant natural state. Um, Shira transforms the. Velvet Glove, which we know is the name of Horde Prime's ship, into, like, this giant world tree in the sky, which is fucking cool. And, uh, I I do want to talk about Horde Prime real quick, because I don't know if you remember in our interview with Keston, he kind of joked that Horde Prime, uh, oh, first of all, let me say, so Adora, like, exercises, or exercises, rather, Horde Prime from Hordak, and he kind of looks like this, like, cloudy, black, and green amorphous beast. Which I'd like to think is a nod to the original Horde Prime, where he was just this, like, tower of smoke that had, like, lights behind it. Um, But Keston said that Horde Prime jumps in that moment. Now, to me, it looks more like Horde Prime, like, dissipates. Do you think he jumps?
1: I was really thinking about sweet Keston, dear Keston, when I watched that, because I think he gets obliterated. <laughs> I think he gets yeah. I think he gets dissolved through the power of She-Ra and love and friendship. Um Keston is allowed, of course, to have his fan theory, and given how confident Horde Prime was that, like, oh, you defeat me, but I always come back, some clever writer could write it in such a way that like the scraps of Horde Prime are you know, out there and infecting people. Kind of like that one Final Fantasy movie and there's, like, bits of Sephiroth in the sky. Like, someone could write that if they wanted to. He's allowed. But I just think think he got obliterated. I think he's gone. I mean,
0: if the best friend squad is, like, you know, freeing other planets under Horde Prime's clutches, there could definitely be some kind of, like, pardon the redundant term, but, like, fail-safe where his consciousness reverts to, like, yeah, another one of his you know goons but it sure does seem like he's gone i just want to say i love amy carrero's line delivery there where very like even-tempered and matter-of-factly she just says it's time for you to go and i think you know there's something about how like the the power in her her evenness is so like it's not even a question she's just like on top of it it's so cool
1: oh speaking of that scene also the, the thing our podcast gets cited for in, like, other media, including Wikipedia, is the fact that when Noelle came on our show, she was referring to the rainbow power of the princesses as the gay agenda, and man, that's in this episode, like, in that sun- the sunset, or sunrise, or whatever it's supposed to be, the way the sky looks at the end here- In one shot, it's the colors of a lesbian flag, and in another shot, it's the colors of a bi flag. And for sure, for sure, they're doing that on purpose. Gay agenda for everybody, representation (laughs) of all kinds. It's in the sky.
0: So if if we can talk about the ending in a broader sense, Lauren, are you at all familiar with the author Zach Gorman and his uh, thoughts on the evergreen ending principle? Mm,
1: The name Gorman sounds familiar, but the rest of it doesn't. So hit me.
0: So this is a gentleman who tweeted this about parks and recreation and kind of put together, uh, like, I guess you would call it a unified theory for how serialized media ends, uh, like satisfyingly now his tweets have been deleted but you can find archives of them on tumblr so his argument essentially is that um let me find the right one to read uh he wants shows to end with the evergreen ending principle he says which is that even though the story has ended you need to be able to imagine the characters are continuing to have similar adventures forever that's part of what makes an ending feel good especially for serialized media Obviously things will be different because the quote real story already happened, but it needs to be easy to imagine how these characters go on doing essentially the same stuff forever. The only thing worse than the ending of Parks and Rec gave us would be one where Leslie retires, for example. So he's using Parks and Recreation as a a poor ending. He then says in his next tweet, this is also why I hate epilogues like the ending of Harry Potter where they are all old and have kids. Let the audience imagine what happens next. Uh, And he concludes by saying, a real happy ending is knowing the characters are going to be okay, that they finally found a little bit of balance and ended up better than they started, that who they are is good enough and always has been, and that they can handle whatever comes next. So I think by this kind of theory, which this is just one dude's theory, but I I do like it, and I actually also have misgivings about the final season of Parks and Recreation. Um, It feels unrealistic to me. So I... I like this theory of the evergreen ending, and I think Shira fucking nails it. What do you think about the theory and She-Ra's dismount?
1: Yeah, I think it definitely embodies this theory well by literally delivering the line, we could bring magic to the rest of the universe, or we could restore magic to the universe, or whatever it is. You can just immediately start writing a thousand fanfics, and it does make it sound like they're all going to be okay. Our four best friends, they're going to stay together. They're going to bring this light and this joy to the whole universe. It's going to be so great. And I do think it leaves us with that feeling. I definitely agree that that's a great ending. Uh, And it's kind of to my point, I think Noelle has some of that epilogue stuff in her head but didn't force it on anybody. She kind of kept it for herself as like an optional thing that you could decide is true if you want. And I think that's a great way to say like, I have other intention, but it's cool if you don't agree. Like, I love that strategy. Um, I also want to go out and say that Leslie Nope like settling down and suddenly having kids and acting like that's what she wanted from her life all along. I hated it and uh, really late hot take, I guess, but I hated it.
0: Well, Zach's point is that Leslie becoming president is just so far afield from anything in Parks and Rec. Because another part of his theory that I didn't get into is that the high the characters end on should be, like, incrementally higher than the high established in the series. Which I think she does, right? Because, like, the swings She-Ra takes is, like the universe is obliterated by Catra. And then in the end, the universe is saved by Catra. So we're at equal levels here. But Parks and Rec is like, Leslie's a small town woman working hard to like make a difference in local government. And now also she's a president, wife, and mother? Like, what? <laughs> this is not a Parks and Rec podcast, but I found that whole last season just like hard to watch.
1: It's like the South Park meme where there's like, and then there's one step that's all question marks, and then the last <laughs> right? step is profit. It's like they she did but, it I somehow. Mean,
0: I, <laughs> right, exactly, and that that NBC like the COVID Parks and Rec special. Oof, that was real rough. But um, that does make me want to ask you like, what are some of your favorite examples of endings in in serialized media, and how does Shira stack up?
1: Um. Avatar The Last Airbender, fantastic ending, masterpiece, 10 out of 10, watched so many times, very good. Um, Adventure Time, I feel like overstayed its welcome, but then sort of still managed to stick the landing. Like, that was a show that was around long enough to see Rebecca Sugar, like its main sort of musical force, walk from the production and the main voice cast, like Finn the Human, uh, went through puberty and his voice was super different by the end. But they, they had a good ending, not as good as Avatar. I think a weird, a weird type of show is one that's gone for a while and then it gets resurrected for its ending. Like Samurai Jack was off the air and then through sort of fan passion was brought back and allowed to sort of end this story and it was great to see that but I don't think it was as good as it would have been if it had been given all of that juice all at once and had been allowed to finish up its arc in its in its own time as opposed to much later um also shout out to cowboy bebop i <laughs> I love a sad ending in which nobody gets what they want and most of them die <laughs>
0: I, for me, I'm going to name not cartoons. I think uh, Star Trek Deep Space Nine's ending is amazing. I don't know how well it jives with the evergreen ending because like Cisco, you know, Captain Sisko becomes one with the wormhole aliens and his adventures go on in such a different way. But I guess it, it does follow the logic of the show. But just like seeing where those characters end up and how, you know, they grow apart, but with the things they've learned together still makes me emotional. Uh, I also think that the office has a very good ending we're back to our office podcast uh, even though the last season is rough I think uh the the circumstances by which they reunite feel natural and like the ending is is weirdly very unforced which the show had been forced for like two years but then it seems like they they found a way to bring it home in a really a really nice way and I think especially Andy who becomes such a problematic character like immediately as soon as he's the boss like he has that line about how uh you never know the good times until they're gone uh that fucking kills me like i'm breaking right now
1: i can hear you it's so good if if we're gonna do non-cartoons then it's gotta be breaking bad to go back to no one gets what they want and everyone dies
0: And I think notoriously, like, cheers is is a good ending, but I've never seen much of cheers. But I feel like that's like a textbook. People cite cheers. So I'm going to cite cheers. So to me, there's one more core question before we get to the AJ Machalka interview, which I completely forgot to set up in any of our talking. So I'll have to record a little thing for the start. I thought
1: you were avoiding it on purpose. I thought we were just making it a big surprise.
0: No, it'll say in the episode. Although, God, wouldn't that be funny? Um... So someone asked us, which I think is a great question. There's obviously been a lot of trending for, like, the Shira movie. What would you want that to include? We've talked about it before, but maybe, like, a better question is, like, what could it include? Uh, we had someone named Nathan write to us and ask, you know, assuming Masters of the Universe is fully off the table, which might be the case, would we want to learn more about Adora in the movie? Would we want to see more of Catra's redemption? Uh is there anything, like, satisfying it can do with its two main characters? And, like, I don't I don't know.
1: Yeah, so assuming Masters of the Universe is off the table sort of shoots down my number one idea, I saw on the internet uh, just, just a concept that I totally want to steal, and it was the idea of flipping the She-Ra-Adam narrative and having She-Ra go to where Adam lives and help defend from Skeletor. Um, and sort of wake up Adam in the way that in the original Adam woke up Adora. And I think that would be a cool one-shot if she just like found her brother and helped him become He-Man and they had an adventure and then she she dipped. Um, a Catra movie, I have to go back to the episode pitch that I had like season two of this show, which was that we learn who Catra's people are. Her origin is like not a big question in this show, like Adora's is. But what the hell? She's a cat person. There aren't, where are they? Like we see all these other, we see mushroom people and bug people. Where are the cat people? What happened to them? And so a prequel about how Catra sort of ended up kidnapped by the Horde. And I would like to see sort of the offer on the table that she could become a princess. She could be the princess of her tribe or people or colony or planet, whatever it is. And she says, no, um, I would like her to say that that is not who she is and not the life that she's built for herself and that she doesn't need to be like anyone else. I think that would be a really meaningful sort of step for Katra.
0: Yeah, I, I agree with all of that. I think if Adora's origin is fully off the table in as much as, like, they can't touch Masters. I would rather go on not knowing, and I think I think Catra, yeah, to kind of address her redemption in not such a direct way would be really satisfying. Although, ultimately, like, I agree with you that maybe the best friend squad would not be like, well, obviously they would be, but there's probably more compelling stories if you don't center them, right? Like, maybe Scorpia Perfuma is the story, or like Bo and his dads. I don't know. It's, I would almost rather see like an anthology series set in the world of she that could flesh out all of these wonderful characters than like a direct continuation. Because especially if, like if Grayskull and Eternia is off the board, I don't know what else I want Adora to do. I feel like she arcs perfectly.
1: Yeah, I was just earlier today remembering that like we never really see a couple of characters that are referenced. One example being Sweet Bee. And so a Sweet Bee sort of like movie one-off, I think, would be dope where she's kind of the center of attention and maybe it kicks off her own television series, like kind of starts a spin-off with a movie, you know? Um, The real answer, though, I'm an idiot. Erase it all. The real answer is we have to go save Angela.
0: If she's still alive, which I still think she could be on Eternia. That's my super-duper fan theory. But we'll never know, probably.
1: Yeah, she's just on my mind because, I mean, she always is. There's some real estate for her 100% of the time in my brain. But in Heart Part 2, Glimmer sees her. Um, We see her face when Micah and Glimmer are having their last battle. Uh, Micah's taunting Glimmer and saying, you're weak, you're a failure. And Glimmer imagines her mother And i had this really sad moment where i realized angela sort of died and or went off into another dimension whatever happened to her believing that she was a coward she thought of herself that she was not brave and i think glimmer and micah and a lot of our characters would have worked to reassure her of otherwise and sort of correct that self-deprecating view she had, but she never gets that support. She's gone now. And I really um, I really feel bad that I think Angela is one of the characters, we, the only character, perhaps, that we lose without seeing things get better for them.
0: Yeah. Accurate. Well, Lauren, I feel like there's a million things we could talk about in this episode, but we've been going for a while, and we still have an interview. So is there anything else you want to... Fit in here?
1: I have a couple that I feel like we need to quick fire. Okay. Uh, we didn't talk Shadow Weaver.
0: Right. We probably should address that at least briefly, I guess.
1: Yeah, we talk about her a lot. Um, I just want your take on sort of the temptation of Shadow Weaver. Right as she's standing at the heart, her hair starts to stand up and her eyes start to glow. And she, for a moment, you see her wondering if she could take that power and Adora is weak, and Katra is getting her butt kicked by a terrifying monster, she has the opportunity. She could go in there and dive into the heart and do whatever she wants. And she chooses not to. I don't think she chooses this for Adora and Catra. Even though she says, "Katra, I'm so proud of you, and she gives them the power to run, I think Shadow Weaver makes this choice for the magic. I think she feels the power and decides the whole world deserves to feel how I feel when I have power. I'm going to release the magic and give that power to everybody. She says, like, the magic must be set free. I think that's her motivation. I don't think it's her love for these girls. What do you think?
0: That's interesting. There is... I wish I could find this letter, but someone wrote in saying that they also don't believe that Shadow Weaver has a real, like redemption moment that she kind of remains herself to the end and I think you're putting that spin on it makes sense I I don't know if she means it certainly she seems from the line delivery like she doesn't mean uh kind of any of her apologies or that she's proud of Katra at least but I also don't know that it matters it seems like it lands with Katra, and that seems to be good enough and i think for me shadow weaver her redemption arc isn't maybe as meaty because she's gone right so like there's nothing there's nothing she can get from the other characters like her penance is kind of that she sacrifices herself for one reason or another so i don't think she has like really seen the light so to speak but I also don't know that it super matters.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think she's redeemed insofar as she cares in some way for someone other than herself in that she, like, vaguely wants to give magic to nameless, faceless Aetherians, but I don't think she has a change of heart about her own behavior much at all.
0: Yeah, agree with that.
1: So I just want to, like, shout out a couple of anime moments in this episode glimmer like blasting her father in the face is the most like dragon ball z animation i have ever seen on this show
0: i wrote down that glimmer goes super saiyan yes she
1: does and then speaking of anime washu's little no i said washu it's entrapta entrapta's little um like hacker icon the like cute chibi entrapta face that pops up on horde prime's screen it's a very anime trope, and it's used by Washu and Tenchi Muyo and also Radical Edward and Cowboy Bebop, uh, the, like, insignia of the hacker popping up on the screen. I lo- very, And it's always cute, and it's always, like, winking or sticking its tongue out. It's sassy. Oh, and we, we see Imp. We see where he's gone.
0: Yeah, right. Imp's with, uh, in a little rucksack with Kyle Rogelio and Lonnie doing their own thing, which is nice.
1: Yeah, he's, he's in like uh, a he's I, in like that like baby holder chest thing like like, like from is it from The Hangover? Is that yeah. where that baby thing is?
0: Yeah, that's right. Uh, we also briefly see Huntara, which no no Gina Davis this season, unfortunately. But it was nice that Huntara's still out there. Uh, I feel like we kind of mentioned it, but I just want to say Bo's speech is fucking awesome. Like a real hero moment from like the biggest heart on the show. That's just such a, a hero moment in general i love it
1: uh, the moment that made me laugh the most maybe in this entire season was when mermista who is unconscious for most of this episode uh is awake and sees hordak and entrapped it together and just sort of almost mugs at the camera to say so we're all just okay with this <laughs> it's, it's like all she gets to do this episode and it's the best line
0: Yep, uh, and I, I think this is a pretty clear example of the writers being like, "Yeah, like Hordax' path to redemption is after the credits roll. Like, you know, whatever happens with that story is is gonna happen." And I don't, <laughs> it, it's it's murkier than probably what the show even wanted to address, but I do think like his awakening is a really powerful. And cute moment for um, Entrap Deck.
1: So, speaking of Hordak, this is kind of the last major beat that I want to get your feelings on because it's a new observation that I had this time. We are led to believe over several episodes, several seasons, in fact, that Hordak has a brother. He just talks about a brother that he has. And I think for several seasons, I really thought it was like, hordak and like a sibling maybe two Hmm. but then we meet horde prime and he calls all of his clones all of his subjects brother so it's not like a sibling thing at all it's it's like that it's the culty thing and i don't think it really clicked in until this viewing that hordak's like desperate need for approval is not at all the approval of like a big brother or a sibling you look up to, like we're originally led to believe. It's this like toxic toxic cult thing. It's very scary, and I, I uh, feel a lot more for Hordak than before.
0: My thing about Hordak, which I guess kind of ties us up, I'm so confused. Given that He Man seemed to be off the table, why we flash back to Hordak holding? baby Adora. Now, I know it's because we're establishing that Hordak has met Adora before, but I still, after two years of doing this podcast, do not really understand where baby Adora comes from. It. I think it's when Hordak is making his jumps to try to leave Despondos, and he just happens upon a baby and brings her back, and I think there's lines about how he just has, like, this collection of children, but
1: yeah. There's more, mm-hmm. right? Isn't
0: there must be more?
1: Yeah, this is this is I think circling around our main critique of the show is that it's very cool and special and beautiful that we wrote a show that in the end was about love and relationships, but if that was going to be the case, I'm really not sure why we established some of these lore-based mysteries because I don't get it yet either. I think watching it this time, plot-wise, it's presented as the thing that sort of heals Hordak and excises Horde Prime from that body and allows Hordak to, like, continue on as an individual because he has memories that are his own and Adora is part of them. Um, It's extra weird, by the way, that, like horde prime decides to take hordak's body down to etherea and just get blown up and die there he didn't have to do that
0: well he's a petty little jerk. yes but yeah no you're you're right especially because hordak should remember adora from like so many other things why why the baby so my real head cannon is that there is the twins of power Uh, that's, like, the last vestiges of, like, the first one civilization, complete with, like, a Castle skull on either the planet or the Starship Eternia. I couldn't tell you which one. I could be convinced either way. And in one of his jumps, Hordak steals one of the twins. Um, And there is an Adam out there somewhere. That said, you know, as we've talked about this show, lets you make your own headcanon. And I think all of ours are equally valid until, unless something else comes along. So, will something else come along? I don't know.
1: So, we do have a very special interview that we super haven't mentioned throughout this conversation because we've been so excited to talk about Heart Part 2. And um, I guess to lead into it, I will say the thing that's going to stick with me about this final episode is Catra reaching her hand for Adora and asking her to stay and Adora taking it and choosing to stay on this mortal plane, choosing Catra. Um, I cried this time watching it when I didn't last time, it just hit different uh, because I was just remembering sort of the arc of this entire show. They reach for each other a lot Uh, throughout the seasons and catch her a couple of times burns her nine lives you know drops herself off of cliffs and into abysses instead of taking adora's hand and they they finally get to close that loop and stay with each other by by taking the hands and i just thought it was a beautiful image and i think there's someone we know and we had the privilege of talking to who could maybe talk more about this journey
0: Well, I feel like I should set this up by saying, first of all, this interview is just between me and AJ because, Lauren, you had work emergencies, which super suck, and I'm so sorry. Um, And I feel like I should say that AJ is absurdly kind, and even though her time was very limited, like, she's the only person who's video chatted with us this whole time. And it caught me so off guard because I was just, like, wearing a t-shirt, like, chilling on my couch, and i do the little Skype call and then there's, like, AJ Machalka on my screen. It's like, oh, fuck. Like, I have to talk to her like a real person. And I hope this comes through in the interview that she's so warm and kind. And uh, I've been, we've been so impressed with everyone on the show's, like, level of of openness and warmness towards us. But AJ was just this, like, next level of, like, man, I, I don't know. I was so disarmed that I probably sound uh, a little, like off my game for uh, the part of this interview um, because I just didn't expect to see AJ machalka talking to me. So, but it's a good interview. I hope you guys like it. And um, yeah, we'll be back for a few more weeks after after that. Right, Lauren?
1: Yes. I do want to say, if anyone's like worried about my feelings, that I did send Eric a bunch of notes and a bunch of questions uh, about AJ Machalka and her music, and the questions I had. So, like, my spirit is in this interview, even if I wasn't there in person. This was done weeks and weeks ago. My new job had just started, and I was working lots of hours getting adjusted, so I really appreciate uh, Eric kind of taking the ball. And AJ, if you're out there listening, I'm so sorry I didn't get to meet you, but um, hopefully we'll have a chance someday. Thanks for being on our show.
0: That's a great point. This interview is literally from, I think, seven or eight weeks ago. So, um just be prepared for maybe some references that don't line up anymore but yeah let's go to that and then we'll see you next week for um let's just say a different take on the horde than you probably thought we would ever talk about
1: yes we are not done we hope you'll stay with us uh just like the best friend squad stuck sticks around and tells a few more stories we're gonna do some some fun stuff and some weird stuff and some deep dives we're gonna get to a hundred episodes so we're not going to keep you here forever but if you've been enjoying this if you've been enjoying this at all hang out with us for for a hundred okay I'm so
2: sorry in so long this has been like rescheduled a million times
0: <laughs> that is totally all right I completely understand I uh Ashna told us you were protesting last week which is fucking cool
2: yes protesting last week and now like in the throes of making an album so I'm in the studio with my sister and our producer and we're just starting to, like track a bunch of songs
0: that's rad I love it I think that was one of our questions we had for you was going to be if new music is coming. So that's really exciting.
2: It is. We have promised everyone 2020 we are putting out a full album. It'll be our first album in 13 years. And I'm so excited. We're working with this guy, Eve Rothman. Um, he is co-writing the record with us and producing it. And right now we're just kind of figuring out you know, what songs are going on, what songs we want to actually start tracking. And we're starting vocals and live instrumentation this month. So June, July will be all about pretty much cutting like 12, 13, 14 songs and then
0: putting them out this year. That's so cool. Okay, so I'm a big music nerd. This podcast is not about it, but I try to sneak it in anytime I can. So let me ask you, are there like challenges to recording uh, in, in COVID or has it kind of maybe even freed up some of your time to like get it done?
2: So yes, it is definitely freed up time in a weird way. Um, my plan was to make a record during this time anyway the reasons why it feels a little different is yes we are technically you know still in quarantine mode there are a lot of musicians who are not ready to jump into a studio and play with a bunch of guys we're just trying to be really respectful about space and hiring one person at a time but the goal initially was to get three four musicians in a live band room and record the record that that way which we used to do with our old records and we stopped doing it during these kind of 80s electronic synth pop EPs because a lot of it was programmed. So now that we're bringing in live instrumentation, it's hard to like round people up. Plus an engineer, plus your producer, plus there's Ali and I. So we're just trying to be really cautious of all that. Some people have kids. Some people are married. You know, with with maybe a spouse that's immunocompromised. So we just have to be really careful about how we do it. We have a really big studio space, so we're able to kind of separate people in rooms. Um, but we're doing the best we can so far. People have said yes, and we're just being respectful to those who who want to continue to distance themselves.
0: That's really cool. Yeah, I'm loving seeing the different ways that like the music industry is kind of figuring out how to deal with this. Like that Dropkick Murphy stream from a few weeks ago, like absolutely incredible, where they just played at an empty Fenway Park. That's so crazy.
2: It's so cool. I mean, people are getting so creative. My my sister and I, you know, a lot of what we do is we love playing live. It's a huge part of our band and a huge part of our act and we miss it you know we're not gonna be able to go out this year um but we put together a 12-hour live stream that's actually coming out next week um it's raising money for 12 different charities and we're going to play a live set with our band and it'll be an hour and a half of music so it'll kind of be like our first virtual show we've ever put on and i can imagine that's going to be kind of the way forward for a bit is like a virtual tour
0: yeah absolutely that is awesome 12-hour live stream holy jeez
2: Every hour is for a new charity. Um, there's actually 13 charities involved. And just trying to raise awareness, not only for COVID, but also, you know, for for the Black community, Color of Change is involved. I mean, it's really important to us that we loudly um, uh, uh, make it a statement to support this community and and people who have been completely disenfranchised for so many years and to hopefully shed some light on it and raise some money. And 13 charities are backing it. So I'm really lucky that we we, we have them on board, Color of Change specifically. Um, and yeah, it'll be 12 hours. It's going to be crazy.
0: That's awesome. Okay, so you are in a band. You voice a character on a kick-ass cartoon. You also are on TV. Do you just have the mm-hmm. coolest life? Like, is there anything you do that you're like, this isn't that cool?
2: I, I really do have a cool <laughs> life. Like, I, I've been able to work with so many awesome people and dip my toe into music and live action and animated and i've been incredibly lucky i mean the past three four years of my life have been like pretty much scheduled out like when the year starts i know what my year looks like and that is incredible because as an artist it's so easy to lose track of what you have and don't have and the industry is so fickle so you know you have a job then you don't um i've been able to stay consistent between making a record then shooting a show, touring, then making a record, then shooting a show, then touring. Um, But it's weird, like also some of those things have come to a close. Like school is no longer coming back. She-Ra, you know, wrapped its final season. So I don't have those things right now, but I'm able to give my full attention to to music, which I I haven't really been able to do in a few years. It's been kind of in and out, making an EP, going on tour for two months, and then dedicating my time back to shooting. And now it's like music is kind of, you know, an open palette this year.
0: That's so it, it's been strange. I mean, I don't live nearly the life you do, but I did, you know, I worked for three years on a restaurant project that opened a month before COVID. And so it was like nonstop work, work, work. And then all of a sudden, there's nothing to do because you can't have people anymore. Right. So it was like, I was burning the candle at both ends and then went from 60 to zero I didn't have this, like, music project to fall back on. I found it really difficult to uh, to do anything creative in, in COVID. In fact, the she podcast is what kind of got me back on the wagon. Uh, I, I, don't, I guess I don't have a question except, like, I feel like maybe people listening are dealing with struggles like that of how do you be creative in these times? Do you have any kind of thoughts on that?
2: To be honest, I, I totally get what you're saying. It's been incredibly hard for me, too. Like, when the end of March hit and we really started quarantining in L.A., my show had just ended, final season of she obviously hadn't come out yet. Allie and I, we had already started like pretty heavily writing towards the end of last year, April, I was just like kind of aimless. Like I was living with my boyfriend up in like the deep hills of Malibu and like taking advantage of beautiful weather but also just calling it a hiatus for myself Yeah. and realizing how blessed I was to take that time but also know like it's okay to not push yourself creatively. And like my life is creative day in and day out. And my sister and I finally said like come June, May, June, like, let's really hone in on these songs and get this record made. And it's really been the inspiration of, of these tunes. I mean, I've just been listening to these demos and living with them for months. And I it's brought a lot of inspiration and a lot of excitement. And it's brought Allie and I to now making this record. But it's not easy. I don't even know if I had advice for people. It first <laughs> month of quarantine was like, I felt like I was just dragging ass the whole time. Like, yeah. oh, my gosh, I don't know what I'm going to do.
0: Yeah. Uh, yeah cool <laughs> i'm glad we could commiserate <laughs> on that i i would yeah, have something smarter it. to say but yeah we should probably talk about Shira a little bit because that's that's what the people are here for so gosh where do i even start let's do it all right so you're this is going to be a, a part of our final episode discussion uh we had to save the best for last you know so let me start with this <laughs> aj how many ways di- and how how much did you have to work through iterations of saying hey adora you had to spend hours of your life saying, hey, Adora, right?
2: I have said that many times. Um, you know, the cool thing about that, like, fun, cute little catchphrase is there are so many different ways you can say it. And there have been different reasons for each time Catcher does say it. Right. So it's never really been a hand phrase. Like, a lot of times in animation, you build up a library, right, of, like, hard breathing, heavy screams, fight sounds grunts um things things like that and they kind of build a library so that as an actor you can go in there every week and save your voice and your energy for certain scenes that really call for a lot of attention and then they can go back into the library and maybe use like an old scream that they never got to use on another episode or another fight sound or whatever and so every now and then hey adora you know was, was coined as like maybe a library moment, but it was very rare. I always said, Hey, Adora, whenever the episode called for it. And sometimes it was in a cheeky way. Sometimes it was in, you know, a little more sentimental way towards the end of the show. Sometimes it was in a more aggressive way at the beginning of the show. And it has become like one of those things that people ask me to do. And it's so funny. Like, I, I didn't have to say it nearly as many times as Amy
0: said for the honor of Grayskull,
2: <laughs> but it's become my little slogan.
0: So we're talking the last episode of the show uh this had to be crazy emotional for you so in the span of like 10 minutes you know shadow weaver tells catra that she's proud of you then adora almost dies then you tell adora that you love her and then you ask her to stay uh and then uh what is this last thing that i wrote here and then some oh and then the kiss of course i thought it said hiss obviously it says kiss um, what what was this? And then
1: I guess <laughs> yeah,
0: what was this like for you? Like you had to be really feeling it when you were recording this episode, right?
2: I was so feeling it. like I wasn't in the booth with Amy when we recorded that scene specifically. I don't believe. Um we recorded quite a bit together, but there were some sessions and quite a few episodes where you just can't get all the same people in one room just based on people's schedule. but I'll never forget doing that scene. I mean, it was extremely emotional for me. Those kind of scenes make me tear up, which just adds to the performance. Obviously, that's not something the audience can see, but internally, I think you can really feel it. And that scene really resonated for me in terms of just connecting with my friend again, and, and also someone that Catcher has loved for years. Um, I I'm so proud of that scene. Amy gets really emotional when we do scenes like that, so I've seen her tear up during moments mm-hmm. that we've had that have been impactful for our characters. I tear up. Actually, during this live stream, which I hope it incentivizes people to watch because they should watch and and donate. But Amy is featured on my live stream for a bit. And we actually, we read off that scene together. Um, And it's really cool to do it because we we never got to do it in person live in the moment in the booth with each other. And we get to have this moment on Zoom where we read the dialogue to each other. And it's really powerful. And to see her do it after all those months, I was like, wow, this is like just as hard hard hitting as it is when you watch the cartoon.
0: That's so sweet. So yeah. Okay, Catra obviously has this huge, like, internal journey. Were you kind of aware of where it was going from the beginning, or or was it a surprise to you to track, uh, or, or, like, to learn that Catra really deeply loved Adora in, like, a romantic way?
2: You know, I, as an actor, when you're hired to do these things, you don't get the full scope of what the show's going to be like season one, two, three, four, and five. You get a large brushstroke of the season you're in. Beyond that, you know, Noelle would paint a picture for us, but we didn't know everything. So, like, I didn't know the ending until we started recording season five. Um, also, it had to get approved by a lot of people, and it was something that, you know, thank God did get approved, and it was kind of a no-brainer to me. I'm super excited that we got to tell that story, because honestly, that's the way I was hoping things would go. I think a lot of fans were as well, um, but I didn't know it was heading in that direction. And, and I think I can speak for Amy, too. She was hoping it was going to go in that direction. Mm-hmm. So... I'm just glad that our show got like such a beautiful tied up ending that not every show can have based on cancellation, based on not getting a final season to tell your story. And we got to have that. And it's, it's such a blessing because it's, it's told a really beautiful story in five seasons and everyone gets to have a finished story and then create one on their own after.
0: Yes. Okay. Uh, yeah. The thing that I, I really think is very, um very smart about the way the last season develops is that there, you know, there's so much world building in the show, but The last five or six episodes are kind of like, look, the lore isn't what matters. It's the characters, right? But there's so many like tasty things that fans who are writing fan fiction or or just if you want to daydream or talk about it with your friends that you can extrapolate, like, where do these characters go? And I think that's magical. It's like giving the power to the people who have followed this journey and loved it the whole way.
2: Yeah. No, you said it perfectly. It is beautiful. It's kind of like, all right, we've written our story. Now go write yours and write your version. Yeah, it's really
0: neat. I was it's like, talk- choose your own adventure. Exactly. I was talking to um y- yesterday. We interviewed uh, Kiki and and Jen uh, about some episodes, and we were joking that like there really there isn't a season six, right? Like the, the story is told. I pitched that there should just be like a second horde prime with like bigger muscles and like badder guns and stuff. But you know, maybe that's why I'm not in Hollywood. I don't I don't write these
2: things. <gasps> I love that idea. I mean, idiot. look, I I would love. To, I'm an idiot. I mean, not like necessarily need another another <laughs> wrap up because I do feel like we got it. Yeah. But selfishly, recording Catra and I feel like Netflix could do like a like a two hour movie, like a special, and just for the fans, like in a year from now or something, and, and we could maybe use like all the fan fiction that's been written online and comp- compile it into a story that like Noel crafts. I don't know. Like that'd
0: be so sick. So like where do you where do you, AJ, think Katcha goes? Where do you want to see her go? I know her redemption is kind of a hot topic. Do you feel like she's earned it? Does she still need to work at it? Is everything groovy? What happens?
2: Um I think we re- yourself after you've done that much damage takes time and i think adora has forgiven her immediately in that moment but i do think catcher will have to continue to kind of fight for that i think it's important as as a human being too
0: absolutely uh and it seems it sure seems like they're gonna fight for that uh redemption in space which is pretty pretty nifty they have a little road trip planned at the end i think that's sweet
2: I know. I love that moment. We're all in the grass, like talking about it. It's so
0: cute. It's such a, it like almost the first time watching the show. So I, you might have guessed because I, you're the first interview we've done on video, by the way. So I'm a 36 year old man. Uh, I grew up with Shira, so I came into this as a fan of the old one uh the story is lauren and i started this podcast about how like surprisingly political the original she is and then lo and behold here comes a series from noelle stevenson where all of a sudden like it's like an lbgtq paradise and everything is just progressive all the time and it was like oh shit we were right but um coming from the original you know i was i was watching the whole show the first time with like okay like how are they going to tie it in like are we going to see castle grayskull are we going to see this or that And the fact that it ends, yeah, in the meadow with with these four friends who have just gone through it together, it almost is like defying me and what I thought I wanted, but it was such a heartfelt moment. I I loved it. I loved how small it was in the end and how how touching.
2: That's really sweet. That's so observant. I, I couldn't agree more with that. It's such a big show that ends small. Yeah. Outside, you know, the kiss and the I love you moment, which is so powerful. And then it's like you see them in the meadow and it's like... There's that one moment between Adora and and uh, and Horde Prime, and then we're all in the meadow laughing together, and it's like that's the end of the show. Right. and I agree. It poignantly ends in a really small way.
0: Yeah, Lauren and I were like, "Oh, is the last shot going to tease like He Man? Like she has a brother?" No, that's not what it's about in the end. And I I kind of love that, and I think it's important to me, which. We haven't recorded the part of the episode where Lauren and I just talk about it, but I'm guessing what we're gonna say is that this Shira is not for people like me. It's for people who, younger people who need to see this like story of of love transgressing boundaries. And I think that's so good. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Yeah, I appreciate that. I'm not just trying to butter you up. I'm just working through my thoughts as we're talking.
1: <laughs> I love it. Thanks, Eric.
0: So, okay, we're talking a little about redemption. Do you have any recollection of, of kind of where in your head, where did your performance of Catra start to turn to, like, oh, I think this is a character who's going to find herself? Or did you always kind of play her with this angle of, like, she she can be saved? I know there's a lot of empathy there, but I think maybe there's a difference, you know?
2: I agree. I mean, I always felt like this is a character that can be saved, and I always knew that there was an option for her to go that direction. I always knew it was what Noel wanted. Um, I always knew her redemption was coming, but you also, as an actor, the more you know, it's not always great, because it can inform your performance in a way that isn't truthful, and and Katra doesn't know that she's going to enter a point of redemption, so you have to be very careful how you're playing that out, um, so I never wanted that to seep into my performance. But excitedly, as a fan of the show and someone who who really appreciates what it's done, I was hoping for that moment to to come in strong. And I I think that season five really gives her a moment to fully redeem herself.
0: Absolutely, yeah. And I think, I mean, I don't know if how aware you were of fan reactions, but there is a large contingent of the fan community that like would die for Katra. I think. Does that you probably? I'm sure a lot of your projects have devoted fans, but. Was there anything about the she fandom that, like, really stood out to you?
2: I mean, yeah. The 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 fans, the diehard fans who, who A, are excited about Katra, but then B, excited about Katra and Adora, I think that friendship and that relationship and the love that it's gotten is so unlike anything I've ever done as an actor, live action or animated. Wow. I mean, just the hashtag CatraDora, like, the connection of one and what it means to people, you know, I think these two girls represent a lot of male and females and and I think that our audience saw that and knew the authenticity behind it and it spoke to them and that's why the fan fiction online is like crazy and and the response has been insane and it really is some of the greatest response I've seen from a character I've played
0: I mean as me an adult who doesn't need to be crying at kids cartoons in the previous episode when Adora learns the lesson that well, I think the line is like, you're worth more than what you can give to other people. Like, still, that is like breaking me as a person. So I know, right? Sweet. Yeah. Yes,
2: everyone should live by that.
0: Yeah. Um, this show absolutely has its heart in the right place. I think, I mean, you can probably speak to that being with it the whole time. Like, this you talk about being uh, in the room with the people you're recording with and how, the relationships you had. This just seems like a really like heartfelt show from the ground up.
2: It really is. I mean, this cast was so special and it's like between Amy and Karen and Marcus and Lauren, I mean, we are, it's crazy because some sessions were together. Some sessions were separate, yeah. but like, I feel super connected to these people because I think the emotional roller coaster our characters have been on together and seeing every episode has like made me appreciate these human beings even more a, because everyone leads with so much talent, yeah. but also everyone is kind and graceful and, and, knows exactly what they're doing in the booth. Everyone's professional and willing to take direction, whether it's from Mary or Noelle or whoever. And, you know, it was a really good group of actors together. And I think, you know, voice casting is so specific and you're going off one thing. And I think they just paired everyone together really beautifully.
0: Absolutely. Uh, I've got a couple of questions that Lauren uh, submitted here that I would like to ask you. Uh, AJ, would you be friends with Katra?
2: I would totally be friends with Catra. Um, I feel like initially I'd be like a little bit like, not scared, but like, all right, be careful. Be careful what you're heading into. This girl's got a lot of force and she's super fierce and and not sure if I can fully trust her yet. And then knowing me, someone like me who pretty much opens my heart to everyone, I I probably would fall right into her, like her her warmth that I know is there, but that she's not willing to show.
0: The, yeah, I mean, the, obviously, you're a very like kind and, and effusive person. I think I think Catcher would maybe take a, a second to realize that you're on the level, and uh, yeah, I think you guys would have a historic friendship. Is that weird to say? I just met you. I probably shouldn't be saying things like that. No,
2: I lo- <laughs> I think a historic friendship is in our cards. I mean, I I agree. I think she would see me as a Scorpio at first and just be like, "No, you're too lovey-dovey. You're too huggy. Like, <laughs> stop. Get away from me." And then be like, "Oh, well, all right. You're my new homie."
0: I love that. That's so good. Uh, okay, so I, I think we we probably talked to Mary Elizabeth McGlynn about this, but I'd love to hear it from you. Um, obviously, the voice you're doing for Catra is quite far afield from the original. And I, I think it's pretty well known among the internet that you refused or, or were very much like, I don't want to do cat sounds. Um, did you watch the original at all to kind of get where the character was coming from or did you just make it your own thing right away?
2: I have to say I I fully made it my own thing. Um, I very much appreciate the original. It's very different. I didn't really want to copy anything. Yeah. Um, you know, it's just such a different world and (laughs) it was fun to watch from a research perspective, but not necessarily something I wanted to bring into this version of Catra. Um, the cat sounds were really hard for me. I've never grown up around cats. I've never really done a lot of animal character study. Um, Noelle really helped me get there. And then, you know, by a certain amount of time, I was really confident with it.
0: But it took a while. Are you more of a dog person?
2: I am. I've had dogs my whole life.
0: Yes, AJ. Yeah. Yes. I
2: have never owned a cat. I am a major dog lover. I've always had rescues. I've always had dogs my whole life. Funny thing is... I am dying to rescue a cat. I have just been waiting because I have a really old Shih Tzu that I don't want to disturb in her in her, in her old age. Aww. I've waiting to rescue a cat because I've never, I love cats in my life because of friends, but I never got one because my sister's allergic, my parents weren't really into cats, and I've always been the one. Like, if you ask any of my friends, they all know I want to rescue a cat.
0: Aww. So that's my next thing. That's, that's really sweet uh so kind of dove tying with our original conversation so you sang a version of the theme song as catra um it, this is a very like base level voice actor question but i i genuinely don't know what are the challenges of like singing in, in a voice is it especially because you're also a professional musician are there is it different for you do you have to get in a different headspace than like a concert or how does that go
2: yeah, it was tricky because I was singing as Catra, not as like AJ on stage.
0: Yeah.
2: I, I didn't really mentally go in there changing anything I usually do as a vocalist, except for the fact that instead of me singing to like an audience, it was more Catra singing to Adora is how I looked at it. Mm,
0: an audience um, of one.
2: Exactly, exactly. And it was cool to put like a darker spin on it, you know, being that like Catra ends up becoming kind of the villain of the show I liked singing that song with like a fierceness that it didn't necessarily have before. It has fierceness in its own way as like an upbeat pop tune, but to do it as like more of like a dark sinister version on this pop song was really cool.
0: Yeah.
2: And it was m- more of the idea of just changing the tone of it than like me being like, don't be AJ, be Catra. Cause a lot of times AJ feels like Catra to me and Catra feels like AJ. <laughs> like I don't do touch.
0: So. I mean, I, awesome. I have to tell you, I, I love your version of this song. I, this is such a music dork thing, but I remember when the original, the, the um, Aaliyah Rose mix came out, and then there was this article that was like, oh, Shira's bringing back the power ballad, and I'm like, you guys, it's not a power ballad. Like, I, I am a big 80s music guy. This doesn't sound... But your version, I'm like, oh, this is kind of like, yeah, like, I'm grooving to it in the same way I would get, like, a, a really dark, like, Def Leppard or, like, heart track, one of those, like, later heart tracks when they really yeah. embrace the arena mode, Yeah.
2: I love that reference. Yeah. I'm
0: with you. Um, it looks like we only have a few more minutes, so I have to ask you a couple goofy questions. So, AJ, I am obsessed with game shows. Uh, Lauren reminded me you were on Celebrity Family Feud. Yeah. <laughs> what is it like to be on Family Feud, AJ?
2: It was awesome. We lost, but um, it was really cool to be on the show and meet Steve Harvey. And to be honest, like I just loved going on there with my sister and my brother-in-law, yeah and my mom, and my brother-in-law's sister, because we are not a family that watches that kind of show religiously. I'm a fan of those kind of shows, but I don't sit there every week and watch Family Feud. So to be honest, like, none of us were groomed, none of us belonged on that show, and that's to me what was so funny about it. Like, I had this whole comical undertone towards our guest appearance on there, because I knew none of us really knew what we were doing, and we were willing to go in that way, because it was honest. And we got crushed, but like, so epic to be on Steve Harvey's family feud like it was
0: awesome. So do they not give you like a little rules packet or like briefing ahead of time you're just kind of like thrown in
2: The producers they do give you a briefing but they assume you have worked on this and they mm-hmm. like it's a quick briefing and it's like uh, oh you've been watching the show for years so you get it okay bye and instead we were like uh we're lost but let's do it like I messed up on the hot like the button round like I I don't know what certain <laughs> things are called like I was lost. I was lost, but that's what was so honest and funny. I think about the dichotomy between us and the opposing family. And of course we didn't win, but we weren't expecting to.
0: That's so awesome. Okay. The, the last thing I'm going to talk about here. So this is, (laughs) I I told, actually I told Lauren, I wasn't going to do this, but the, I feel like this went so well that I have to, so you were on a show called the Goldbergs, um, through no reason other than someone who made a fake Goldberg Twitter account and, and, uh, trolled me years ago i i have joked with my friends that i have a feud against the goldbergs it's nothing about the show itself just this person on twitter who for some reason like uh really didn't like me and so i'm gonna i'm gonna lay that feud to rest right now i'm gonna say aj i i will bury my hatchet with the goldbergs because you have been so wonderful to talk to today
2: that is so sweet. I'm so glad to help like, reconcile your relationship with that show.
0: <laughs> well, I, I so appreciate your time. I know you're in the middle of making sweet rock and roll. Um, I'll drop your like Insta and your all your handles in the episode text so people can find you. But is there anything else you want to say before you got to get out of here?
2: Um, no, I think that's it. I, I'm, I'm just so proud of this show. And I'm so happy that it's been so like beautifully received and that people are happy with this finale. And thank you for your support in creating this podcast. You're like probably one of my last interviews that really kind of lands around the finale. And it only took us months to figure out how to time it and schedule it, but save the best for last. It's been really wonderful talking to you. You're Thanks. so sweet.
0: Oh, uh, you're you're great. I really appreciate it. I almost went to see AJ and Allie in Milwaukee. I'm in Chicago. So I almost went to your Summerfest show a couple years ago. And then I'm like, I'm probably like, Maybe I'm a little too old to go by myself, but, you know, maybe I'll just get over that and come see you guys soon. Oh, my gosh.
2: No, please come to a show. We're going to – I mean, hopefully we get a tour next year is the goal if everything works out in terms of, like, live shows. But, like, I would love for you to come to a show. Chicago is one of my favorite places to play.
0: Well, I will keep my eye out for, yeah, next year, and, uh, and we'll see what we can do. But thank you so much, AJ. It's been a real pleasure.
2: Thanks, Eric. Thanks for your support and tell Lauren hi, too.
0: Yeah, be safe.
1: You, too. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to she Progressive of Power. If you like our show, you can rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. We super appreciate it. You can also send in any feedback you have to our email address, progressiveofpower at gmail.com or to our Facebook page at facebook.com backslash progressive of power.